Today's passage is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing, in, writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia and I was still unknown in person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen. Please take a seat. Uh, let me pray. Father God, we are thankful that we have this opportunity where we can come together as a body to give you the praise, the glory that belongs to you as we listen your word. I pray that you would give us open hearts, open ears, that we would be able to understand the content and also apply it in our lives in faith and in obedience. Uh, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. So we started this new series in Galatians, and uh, the past couple of weeks, we kind of got a taste of what this letter is all about. And so far, uh, the message of Galatians, um, it has been pretty simple. The message is that there's no other gospel apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other gospel. The word gospel, by the way, uh, that comes from a Greek word, which the New Testament language was written um, in. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, and it is a compound word. And when I said this to my youth group, one of our sixth graders, uh, he raised his hand because I asked the question, do you guys know what a compound word is? Now, that's a very hard concept. And he raises his hand. Uh, he simply says, it's a word plus a word equals a new word. And I was like, that is brilliant, right? And that is awesome. That's the perfect definition, right? It's, it, this word is composed of two words. You means good. Uh, angelion uh, it means messenger or sometimes translated as angel. So angels technically are actually just simply messengers of God. So it simply means you angelion, uh, the good news, the good message. So when we talk about the gospel, when we use the word gospel, we are saying that it is good news, specifically related to Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he alone is the good news. This good news, Paul says, you can't distort it. 
You should not pervert it. Uh, this message shouldn't be different from the one that I preached, even if I appeared to you and spoke about a different gospel. Even if an angel appeared before your eyes and he spoke about a different gospel, you should uh, condemn that, that person. You should condemn that angel because those who speak of a different gospel, it says in verse 8 and verse 9, nine let him be accursed. Now, th- that is strong language right there. He's not just saying, okay, then shoo them away. But what Paul says, let them be a curse. Let the curse of God fall upon that angel or that person. That's how serious he is about the gospel. No, and you might think, okay, that's kind of extreme. Maybe Paul is trying to scare people off, but I think he's pretty serious about this. No, for those who speak a different gospel, that means they are directing people away from the true gospel, the true message of Jesus Christ, and, and it says in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So think about this. And this is uh, uh, something that John Piper said um, in one of his sermons, that if you think about what Paul is saying in Galatians 1, when he is cursing people for not preaching the right gospel, he's simply saying this, you know, I pray that the curse of God will be upon this people who will actually remove people from the curse cure. The only one who can take away the curse that people have. The only one who can bear the curse of mankind. If you remove people away from the curse bearer, the curse remover, then curse be upon you. That's pretty logical. No, he's not saying this because um, he wants to scare people away. He understands the weight of the gospel. He understands that the only hope that we have, the only way that we can be free from the curse of sin is to understand the true gospel in Jesus Christ. Paul is mad, he is furious, he is angry because people in Galatia, were, he heard that people were speaking and perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is getting him really, really angry. And in order to kind of strengthen his argument for the gospel, um, he, he goes into this idea that the gospel it is not made by man, but is actually given to people by God. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, and basically he's saying, I want to make this perfectly clear, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So uh, a gospel to to Paul, it's not something that's man-made. It's made in heaven. It's made by God. No, it's not just a good theory. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something that scholars came together and smart people came together and they said, hey, let's come up with this good idea that fits into our lifestyle. No, that's not it. Paul is saying that this is divine. This gospel was actually made by God. God is the author of the good news. He is the source of the good news. Yes, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul, he goes blind on the road of Damascus, a disciple named uh, Ananias, he comes to Paul and when he was blind and he shares the message of God to him and Paul's eyes are open. Yes, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul does mention how some believe in Jesus, uh, some they received uh, and then also this message was delivered to me that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture. Yes, in Romans 10, he talks about how it is impossible for us to receive the gospel apart from someone bringing the gospel
gospel to us. How can someone believe in Jesus if they have never heard? So he's not, not, not denying the fact that there are human instruments involved when the gospel is preached. He's not denying the fact that you need people actually sharing the gospel so that people can understand and respond to the gospel. But what he is saying is that ultimately, behind every person who's sharing the gospel is actually God. God, he is the source. He is the author. He's the one who's advancing his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. He's the one who's convicting people to share the gospel. So that's why he says, this is not man-made. I didn't learn this from just a random teacher, but he says, this is actually from God. God revealed this to me through his son, Jesus Christ. God is the source of his message. He's the one who came up with this idea. And, and at this point, Paul kind of dives into his personal testimony. You know, sometimes uh, I do missions training uh, for youth and for EM. Uh, every year we go to domestic uh, missions to Pittsburgh, and sometimes we go to uh, foreign missions. And every time uh, we, we come together to train for missions, the very first thing that we do is we write our testimony. Because as much as we can use tracts, as much as we can use the wordless book, as much as we can use the four spiritual laws or different devices to share about the good news of Jesus Christ, the most powerful thing that you can offer, uh, the most powerful evidence of, of Christ is actually the Christ who lives in you. Your testimony is far more powerful than anything, any, that any, any book can offer it is powerful. And what, so what Paul says is, this is not just in theory. I'm not just arguing based on logic that this is real, that this gospel is pure and important. Let me talk about my life right here. So he's making an argument. He's going back to the place where he made a U-turn in life. He's saying that this is my moment of conversion. This is how everything unfolds with me. This is my story. And so he comes to this place. He, he he, he's sharing in verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And if you read Acts 8 and 9, you know that he's not exaggerating things. He's not overstating things, but he was very serious about persecuting Christians. He was passionate about this, this job. He hated Christians so much he tried to destroy everyone uh, who came in his way. He tried to destroy the church. He passionately hated Jesus. No, in, in Acts 7, we see that um, after, uh, after Stephen, he is appointed as one of the seven uh, deacons in, in the early church. He publicly gives a speech. He proclaims the good news of Jesus before the high priest and before people in Jerusalem. And what happens to him? He gets stoned for it. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Paul was actually the one who approved this execution. It says after that, he was raving the church, and he entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them uh, to prison. No, even when he was on the road to Damascus uh, in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that he was actually hunting down Christians. He went to the high priest. He got an, a letter from the high priest saying that getting permission to hunt down these Christians because he firmly believed that this was a wrong message. He firmly believed that Judea, Judaism was right, the Old Testament was right, and really Christianity was this, this weird cult that believed in a dead man, in Jesus. No, what's interesting about Paul's story is the fact that the reason why he opposed 
um, Jesus, the reason why he posed his followers is not because he was a madman. It's not because he was crazy. It's simply because he was a devoted Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. The reason why he went so extremely against um, the Jews was because of his religious convictions. No, he actually thought he was doing something good for God and good for the people. Sounds very familiar, right? You know, Hitler thought you know, when he was going after the Jews, he thought he was doing something good for the people. In the same way, Paul, he had no shame. He had no guilt. Why? Because deep down inside, he really believed this was the right move. He firmly believed that because the law, uh, the Old Testament said, you should have no other God before me. And there's this Jesus guy who showed up. He died on the cross, yet people are saying that this is the Son of God. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That, That doesn't go with the Old Testament. No, that is blasphemy. And so he goes after Christians with a passion. He begins to kill people. He begins to put people into jail. He is convinced that Christianity is false and it must be destroyed. He kind of further explains this in verse 14. It says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So he was passionate about Judaism. No, he was a rising star in the Pharisee circle. No, he was going faster than everyone else. He was learning uh, like crazy. He was extremely accomplished. In Acts 22.3, Paul actually mentions how he studied under one of the famous teachers, uh, Gamaliel, and he, he, and which means in our day that basically you went to Harvard and you graduated with a 4.0 GPA. That's what he's saying. Now, he studied under the, the most well-known Jewish rabbi, the Jewish teacher at that time. He was excelling uh, before uh, uh, and going faster than anyone else in his Jewish circle. He didn't lack any education. He wasn't insane. He was simply a man who was passionate about the law. No, he was very sincere about his religious convictions. But yet you see that simply being sincere about your religious convictions, it's not enough. It's not good enough. A lot of times you can be passionate for the wrong things. You can be excited for the wrong things. No, a lot of times we say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe in. It doesn't matter who you worship as long as you have passion, right? As long as you're devoted. As long as, you know, you are excited for what you believe in, you know, that's good for you. And here we see that, no, it is possible to be sincere and passionate, yet be completely off because, uh, because we believe in the wrong object um, of faith. So notice what he says in verse 15. After talking about his past, how dark it was, how, 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 how wicked it was, he says, but, but when he who has sent me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now Paul, he, he doesn't say, well, God chose me because I was an expert of the law. He doesn't say, I had so much potential. Although I was kind of wicked, I had so much potential because I was a great speaker, right? I was a well-known person in the Jewish circle. That's why God chose me. He doesn't say that. He simply says, despite of who I was, God chose me. Now, I was a sinner. I was very ignorant. I didn't even know what I was doing was wrong. But one day, God flipped my life. And he turned me upside down. And he saved me. And that's Paul's story of grace. When he's talking about his past, he's saying, I, I, I. 
when he's talking about his conversion, the moment that he met Christ, he's talking about God did this, God did this, God did this. Paul's story of grace, it begins and it ends with God. Here we learn that God does not save people based on their potential. God does not save people based on their past. God does not save people based on good works. He saves people based on grace. It's pure grace. Paul did nothing to deserve it, yet he received this incredible grace where God, he he chose Paul before the foundations of the world, before he was even born, he was chosen by God. No, and I don't understand the doctrine of election in its entirety. There's still a lot of things that I would have to ask Jesus and ask God when I go to heaven because it's such a mystery. You know, why in the world would some people go to heaven and, and why would some people go to hell when God is all-powerful and all-sovereign? I don't know all the ins and outs, but I do know this. If you are chosen by God, if you are saved by God's grace, it's not by accident, it's not by chance. God was very intentional about his rescue. God was very intentional when he came to you. God was very intentional when he touched your heart. He changed your life completely. It wasn't an accident. He had every intention. God called Paul by his grace. And God graciously, graciously, it says, he revealed his son to Paul. And notice in verse 16, it says, it's not because Paul deserved it, but it pleased God. God saves people because it pleases him. Even the reason for salvation, it's not really about us, but it's really about God. He didn't say that so that people can live happily ever after, so that people can feel good about themselves. It says, saving people, it pleases me, God says. And by the way, on the flip side, Paul's not saying, well, God saved me because I was a bad man, because I was pretty bad. I was like on Hitler's level, right? And God saved me so that he can boast about me. So that he can say, if I can change Paul, I can change anyone. No, some people say, you need to hit rock bottom in order to be saved. And I get what they're saying. I understand where they're coming from. Uh, But that is, is partially true. There's some false to it. Some people say, well, you need to wander far off, like the prodigal son, right? You need to go as far as you can. You need to experience that, that worldly life. You know, you need to do drugs. You need to get wasted. You need to fail some classes. You need to be a bad, bad person so that the grace of God will be sweet to you. You know, you don't have to try to make God's grace sweet. What Paul realized was not that he had to go rock bottom. Well, he realized that he was at rock bottom, from birth, that he never had a foundation, that he was always in this mess. He realized that he was, his, he was helpless um, in his sin from the very beginning. You know, there are people, um, when they share about their testimony, they're very shy about it, especially those who grew up in the church. They say, um, uh, I, I, I accept Christ when I was at this youth retreat. Uh, I kind of prayed, and, but that's about it. And then you hear someone next to you, and it's like, you know, in my 20s, I was, I was doing drugs, I was sleeping with women, you know, I was doing all these stuff, and then one day, God struck me with lightning, and my life was changed. Uh, based on what Paul is saying, I think both testimonies are pretty bad testimonies, because when you talk about your testimony, it's not about what you have done, it's really about what God has done. I think a lot of people are very prideful in their past, how bad they were, without actually being boastful on how God can change their circumstances and how God rescued them despite who they are. 
No, I think you know, what Paul realized when he met Jesus was this. He was a lot more sinful than he could ever imagine. That he realized that he was a sinner. He thought he was living a good life. He thought he was doing what was right. Yet he came to a conclusion that what he was doing was extremely wrong. He wasn't doing things for God. He was actually persecuting the church. He was actually an enemy of God. That's what he realized. And for every person, not just Paul, but for us, in order for us to embrace the gospel, we have to first understand that our sin is offensive to God. That before we are friends with God, we are enemies with God. Because God is so holy, so righteous, so perfect, when we sin, you know, that is an extreme offense to God. That, that, he, he, that he can't just close his eyes and neglect what we have done. You know, Paul realizes this. And he understands that despite that, God saved him. And that is what's so overwhelming about God's love to him. No, Paul says, um, though he was devoted to the Lord, um, you know, when he simply understood um, the gospel, there was, uh, he understood that his devotion was not really to the Lord, but actually it was to men. Uh, he was actually religious. He was really pursuing Judaism so that he could please men. Look at verse 10. It says this, for, I, uh, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So notice what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm a servant of Christ right now, and so I'm not going to try to please men. I'm not still trying to please men. So he's saying, I used to please men. That was my main motivation. You know, I wanted to do good so that people would like me, so people would approve me. That's what a lot of times the Pharisees, that, that's what they were motivated by, right? Their righteousness, people recognized it. They praised uh, their righteousness. And so they, were, they got carried away. Yet what Paul is saying is, because I know that I do, had nothing to do to deserve this grace, I understand that I no longer have to please men, but all I have to do is please God. No, there's this complete change in his perspective, how he sees his reality and how he sees God. Despite his past, God saved him. And, and the Bible is actually filled with stories like this, right? Every single person who receives God's grace, God's blessing, it's not because they were good people. It's simply because God's grace was good to them. No, I love what Pastor Tim Keller says in one of his books. He says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You realize that you're a terrible sinner, but that's okay, because God is an amazing Savior. But it doesn't end there. No, after saying all this, Paul also says that not only did God save me, but I understand why. God has saved me. Look at verse 16, the second part. It says this. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So God saved me. He chose me. He set me apart. Uh, and that's wonderful. Paul was converted, but also he understands that he was commissioned by God. He says that God called me so that I could live for Christ, so that I can be uh, an ambassador of Christ, so that I can preach him among Gentiles, so that I can do the ministry of God. That is his purpose. You know, God intervened in Paul's life, not just so that he could enjoy the rest of his life on his own, but so that he can do the will of God in his life, what he was created to do. 
No, this is simply an act of grace. If you are called by God, notice that you're also commissioned by God, that you can't live life according to your own will or your own ways, but you have this obligation to God to live and do what is right. Now, Paul ends this section by simply saying, for 14 years, I didn't have much conversations with the apostles. You know, I met them maybe a, a few, um, once or twice, but really, reality, I didn't have any interaction with them. Uh, I, I, he, he didn't go hop around seeking for mentors. He didn't seek for preachers. He didn't go to different churches trying to conf- uh, confirm his salvation, asking if, if his calling and his salvation was what was right. What he experienced on the road of Damascus, what he experienced by encountering the living Christ, that was enough for him. He was sold on that. And from there, the Bible actually points us to the fact that he started preaching the gospel the moment that he converted. So the gospel Paul experienced, it's a transforming gospel. It changes one's life. Look at verse 22. It says, And I, Paul, was still unknown in person to the church of Judea that are in Christ. The only, uh, they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they glorify God because of me. So Paul, he's saying that um, the reason why God saved me, the reason why he commissioned me is so that through my transformed life, by seeing how I'm such a different person, ultimately, people glorify God. The glory of God is your purpose of salvation. The reason why God saved you is actually not for you. He did it for himself. And when he is exalted, when he is glorified, there's great joy that comes to our hearts. Have you ever wondered why in the world God would save someone like you? It's not because you did anything. Paul says simply so that people can see that you're a changed person. People can see the grace of God uh, being uh, expressed in your life and so that ultimately they can give glory to God. If I can summarize this passage in one word, it's probably going to be conversion. Paul begins to talk about the source of his conversion, which is the gospel, which is not man-made, but it's made in heaven. Uh, he talks about the story of his conversion, which is really a story of grace. And then he talks about the purpose of his conversion, saying that this is why God saved me, transformed me. This is why I took a U-turn, simply so that I can do the things of God and I can bring glory to God. No. Um, last EM retreat, I don't know if you remember this, uh, uh, we had an icebreaker in the middle of our retreat, and I love this icebreaker. Pastor Danny was leading this. It was called Lost at Sea. And was this, it was so funny. What this icebreaker is, is um, ask a simple question. If you're on a ship, right, and, and you met a storm, and somehow that ship got destroyed, and you are uh, having to get on a lifeboat, and there's only 15 items on the ship that you can take. And some of the items are like a, a compass, a map, a box of chocolate, water, some oil, a fishing pole, a shaving mirror, and all, all these different things. What items would you take first? So we had three teams. We had each team pick an item, right? And, and then after that, um, Pastor revealed that uh, a, a study that was done by the U.S. Coastal Guard, um, they actually asked an expert, right, asking people to, uh, the experts to rank each item. And guess what number one was? The shaving mirror. It wasn't water. It wasn't a fishing pole. 
It wasn't a compass and map. Actually, those two things were dead last. It was a shaving mirror. Because what, what they said was, if you're in the middle of the ocean, and if you are lost, uh, there's no way you're finding your way back home on your own. You are helpless. You are hopeless. The only hope that you have is to have someone notice you. So number one, your priority should be signaling so that people will know that you're there. Number two is you should have enough, try to get enough food so that you can sustain your life, so that you have more time to signal. You know, I did this same activity with my youth kids. Number one item, a map. Number two item, a compass, right? And then they stack on food, and there's only one kid who kind of argued for the shaving mirror, right? And, you know, he kind of understood the importance of signaling. But I had no idea. I would have picked uh, the shaving mirror dead last, you know, because I, you know, I normally don't shave that often. So it's, like, kind of useless to me. But what this tells us is this. Uh, a lot of times when you think you actually have hope and you think you can make, uh, uh, find a way for yourself, you're going to make bad choices, when you realize that you're completely lost, your choices are going to be different. In the same way, the Bible tells us that people by nature are lost in sin. You know, rather than desiring God, we dishonor God by nature. You know, we are like people on this lifeboat in the middle of the sea that our only hope is actually not us finding our way out of our sin, not us doing more good works to find our way to heaven. Our only hope is to send a signal of help hoping that someone will stop by and rescue us. And here's the good news. Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. When we were completely lost in our sin, the sea of sin, Jesus stops, he recognizes our brokenness, and despite who we are, he extends his grace to save us. That is the good news. And Paul says, this is not just my story, this should be your story. Because this is the story of grace that is driven not by man, but by God. Let's pray.